Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast Theo Beidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring the song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play. Episode 22. I love it. I can't believe we made it this far. <laughs> Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. A lot of my hobbies don't last this long. <laughs> no. No. You know what, though? It's uh, it's all thanks to the fact that we uh, get beer and coffee. All thanks to the work that we put in here. That's true. Uh, and the thousands of people who have listened to the podcast. Oh, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, too. Of course. Uh, I don't want to let the people down. The the gratification I get from 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 that. That is, that is true. That is true. Uh, but today's episode is going to be like a like a special vinyl where you, you come for the A side, but you're getting the B side as well. Mm. I've always, and you've known this, I've always wanted to cover this song. Uh, such a jam. Let's get it. Go ahead and do it. Moving to the country. Yes. So psyched about this. Now. Like I said, we're doing we're doing A side, B side here. Peaches is the B side because while I think this is the more unusual hit, there is not a great story. Or I should say, in my initial research early on, like months ago, when I thought about this song, uh, I didn't find a lot of good stuff. This time around, I did find a good background to the song, but it's short and sweet. So this is the one that you've been trying yeah. to do for a while. Like you've you've been working on this research for quite some time. Right. The song though, Peaches, the story behind it is short and sweet. It would be a, a ten minute episode, uh, which, you know, would be great for you since you had it. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but but uh thankfully, a good friend of the pod and listener Sean pointed out to me that Peaches was not their first hit. There is another song that was their first hit, uh, equally as unusual song. Lump. Uh, and, and if you ask some people, maybe even a, a bigger hit. Mm-hmm. And that one, as you said it. Another jam, another ripper. We'll find out. Look, I think they've got lots of rippers. So today we are talking about Lump and Peaches. Okay. And mainly we're talking about the presidents of the United States. So are we are we gonna name the episode? It's gonna be Lump and Peaches. We'll figure that out. Okay. Our first dual song episode. I mean, we've had other songs where you have to talk about one song in order to talk about the other, but we haven't like had an episode where we dissect two songs. Yes. And both of these songs are off of the same album. The album mm-hmm. itself is just kind of like synonymous with the band. They've had follow-up albums, which we'll get to. But I feel like when I think of Presidents of the United States of America and Peaches, I think of this album cover with the, the gold frogs. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. this album in its, in its entirety. Yeah. Um, but let's get into it. For those who are not familiar with the Presidents of the United States of America, I am going to call them the Presidents for the sake of brevity here. 
or POTUS? So, so actually, you know what? I did a little bit of research on nicknames because there's a lot of things that they were called. PUSA is actually the the abbreviation that they okay. go with. POTUS would make a lot more sense because uh, that is the actual President of the United States of America nickname. Oh, but they have America in it. Got it. Still. Uh, so PUSA. Yeah. I also read like POT. Use, uh, use, okay. uh, but Pusa and the president seem to be the, the nomenclature of the fan base. They come out of the, the grunge scene mecca of Seattle, Washington, uh, around 1993, 1994. They sound like it. Definitely. Definitely. In some ways, they are a three piece consisting of vocalist and bassist Chris Ballou, guitarist Dave Deirder, and drummer Jason Finn. We love a singing bass player. Absolutely. So Chris and Dave are childhood friends. They met while attending the Bush School in Seattle, which is a mm-hmm. private K-12 school. Uh, according to the school's wiki, Chris and Dave are among only seven notable alumni, at least from this list. Uh, the list also includes singer or songwriter Bonnie McKee and okay. the entire band Sweetwater, <laughs> which right. is another punk rock band out of the Seattle area, uh-huh. obviously. I guess all of the members went to school there, so they just counted right. them as, as one line item where Chris and Dave uh, you know, got separate line items, so good for them. Uh, nobody else at that school has done anything notable, just musicians. <laughs> uh, there was one like geophysicist or some oh, shit, okay. but yeah, whatever. This is not a geophysicist <laughs> podcast. So, <laughs> yeah. That's not important. Uh, while they met at school, they would not form the presidents until well after high school and after uh, both Chris and Dave went to respected colleges, they moved out of Seattle and then they finally moved back to Seattle. And that's where uh, they would they would meet. But Chris, most importantly, Chris is kind of like the band in a lot of ways. A lot of my quotes are going to come from him. Uh, he is kind of like the, you know, he's a, he's a lead singer. He yeah. does write most of the songs, it sounds like. Um, so he moved to Boston after high school. I believe he went to college there. Uh, he was in, in many different bands and groups and, and played with all different people. So lots of different like iterations of the music that he was doing, mm-hmm. uh, including a, a punk busker band called Egg. Okay. And that is where he of wrote course they were many called songs. Egg. Would... Oh, yeah. I mean, this guy's strange in, in all the good ways. That just sounds like uh, a, a cross punk band's name, Egg. It does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. And it's all capital letters because that was the thing to do back yep. then um but he he wrote many songs with that band which I, again i think was like him um mm-hmm. and some of those songs would later become president songs as well um while in boston chris met mark sandman who i was not familiar with i don't know if you are i don't think so he seemed like a musician's musician and almost like a comedy guy as well and okay he had a bunch of different projects but one of the projects was with chris and uh, Chris, Chris is quoted saying, The importance of my collaboration with Mark Sandman cannot ever be understated. The experience of being in a band with him, where he made up songs live in front of the audience, formed who I am as a songwriter. He showed me the two-string and the three-string idea, and he also allowed me to be super weird and freaky while he stood there very stoic and confident. Now, the two- and three-string idea that he mentions there is kind of a staple of the presidents, which I wasn't familiar with. Uh, so Chris plays a two string bass and Dave plays a three string guitar. And in one article I read, Chris said between Dave and I, we have five strings and you can make the most complicated chord in the world with five strings. We just have to cooperate with each other. I think it's a nice, nice way to 
approach yeah. a band. And yeah, that too is just like so cross punk to me. It's like we're making a band with only totally. five strings total. Hundred <laughs> percent. I did read later that they uh maybe later on they had like the bassist would have two bass strings and three guitar strings. Mm-hmm. Uh or the other way around the guitar. So, and they, they called what they did, uh, uh, gut bases. Okay. I'm not sure if that's a president thing or if that's like a thing. Uh, you only have but, the guts of it, right? Well, no, it was like guitar bass, like geek bass. Oh, geek bass. got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But after Boston, Chris moved to LA for a hot second where he actually joined Beck's touring band as a multi instrumentalist. And he also oh. played. That checks out. Yeah, so he played multiple instruments on Beck's album, One Foot in the Grave. And I think okay. perhaps might have also been Beck's roommate for a time. Okay, uh, that's been interesting. Chris said at one time, yeah, Chris said at one time, my experience with Beck was insane. It seems like it was preordained that he and I would find each other. He is a raging genius, and I must say that hanging out with him was both instructive and terrifying. I ended up needing to quit the band and move back to Seattle because his incredible songwriting power was shutting me down. But I had a great time hanging out with him and driving around L.A. and talking about the transformation he was going through from bedroom four-track guy to being an MTV guy. All of that happened right before my time with the president and our skyrocket to success. So I look at my time with Beck as an educational experience as far as how to deal with that sort of transformation. That totally makes sense. I feel like Beck, Beck walked, so... The president so could, could run. I did read a couple of different, like not conflicting quotes about his time with Beck, but he he mentions that while he was performing with Beck, that Beck wasn't like reaching out to the audience and like uh, and, and including the audience in the shows as much as Chris would have wanted him to. And so mm-hmm. that was one of the reasons why he left the band. But then he also said like l- later down the road they played shows together or like festivals together, and he saw Beck how Beck had transformed into being a live musician and, and was like, if, if that was the artist I was with at the time, I, I might never have left. So interesting, interesting little aside, but also, uh, one foot in the grave also features performances by James Bertram and Scott Plouffe of built to spill. I don't know what. Yeah. That's, that's like a super group before they're all famous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There probably is a lot of that in, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. At least uh, in these times, in like Seattle, that, New York, LA. Like, I mean that that one specifically that. though is uh, pretty well. stacked. I feel like now is a pretty good time to tell everybody about uh, the little deal that our friends at Dark Matter Coffee are offering our listeners exclusively. That's right. Dark Matter Coffee, uh, what I think is the best coffee in the world. Um, I've been drinking it for actually. Dark Matter Coffee is the first coffee I ever actually enjoyed, and I'm a coffee fanatic. Um, but it's great coffee, great wow. people, and you can get free shipping at darkmattercoffee.com, which is amazing because it is a Chicago brand, but you can get it anywhere. Uh, if you enter the code wanted a hit cast, one word, wanted a hit cast, you'll get free shipping. Our promo and- code is almost as long as President United States of America's band name is. <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true yeah it could have been longer could have been could've you been. wanted a hit cast wanted a hit cast yeah wanted a hit cast free shipping you can load up on beans and maybe even save enough to just get an extra bag well we find ourselves back in seattle as does chris um okay 
Chris moves back to Seattle and reconnects with Dave, Dave Deirdre, to create a band who at the time was a drummerless duo. They performed half a dozen shows or so in 1993 as the duo and went by a couple different names, the Lo-Fi's, the Dynamic Duo, and Pure Frosting, before <laughs> landing upon the name the President of the United States of America. <laughs> Although I could never really figure out why. Uh, it's the only such thing, a ridiculous band name. <laughs> I think that was part of it. Uh, of course. The only quote I could find was, this is from a an interviewer or like a writer, quote unquote, they picked they picked the name just to have something different. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that might be it. I don't know. Yeah, it's a great, I mean... It's a, it's a great name and also a terrible name. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I did read like a, a much, much later aside from them talking about how like they never met like at the time you couldn't envision the internet and googling and seo and right like <laughs> terrible name <laughs> uh yeah uh there are a number of bands with names like that one of them that comes to mind that i've always found so amusing is the the great band from nashville which features uh my buddy lee putney uh, music band love it Great, you know, fun name, I mean, but impossible. Impossible to Google. Well, uh, as you know, for a time, I managed a band called Red. Yeah, which that's a is tough not one. only a massive Taylor Swift album, but it's also it a color. <laughs> so, uh, it's a color. It's been around a while. Yeah. Long time. Yeah. I mean, one of the first three colors, I believe. <laughs> yes, indeed. Presidents were a drummerless duo, as I mentioned, uh, but they were very familiar with Jason Finn, who would become their future drummer. Uh, and I, again, this is like one of those stories where there's just so many good quotes that I could paraphrase all these different storylines, but like these guys are, are talkers. So uh, Dave sums it up best uh, the story about Jason joining the band, saying, When we started as a duo, we were weird. Picture it. You have to remember that in 1993, people are moving to Seattle from Phoenix to become rock stars and are buying <laughs> flannel. And every show is a wall of Marshall stacks and really loud and heavy and lots of hair and Doc Martens and all of that. Then the two of us get up on stage, $30 guitars plugged into the same amp. Chris is bald with boots spray painted gold. Yep. I'm in saddle shoes with a uh, a gross grain belt and a and Brooks Brothers shirt, and we launch into a fuzzed out drummerless version of the Stooges TVI. We were weird. Jason, however, was the scene. He was the Pope of Pike Street at the time, a, a beloved bartender at Seattle Hipster Ground Zero Tavern, the Comet. His joining the band was the end of a long running inside joke. He'd seen one of my and Chris's previous bands, loved it, and then for years we let him beg to be on our next band. The irony being that he's already a big rock star and love battery, and we were just a couple of dorks. So that is a story of them coming together. Wow. Together they would record a 10-song cassette in 1994 entitled Froggy Style, and they record that in one day at Laundry Room Studios. There's definitely a, a, a theme with frogs. Frogs from the cover oh, yeah. of the album. Yep. Um, I think Chris is just like a weird, weird outdoorsy Seattle guy and loves nature, so... Sure. A lot of a uh, lot of big grungy frog albums at the time because Silverchair was h- hot on their heels. That's true. Yeah. Um, I didn't even think about that. What happened with Love Battery? I I I know the name, 
did they break up before that i don't know this band it didn't sound like it from everything i read about the interaction with jason was that he left love battery to join the president okay because i know they were i want to say they were on sub pop they might have not have been but they like ran around with mother love bone and Soundgarden and mud honey although coming out of the grunge scene of seattle in the early 90s they as we've talked a little bit about were far from the traditional grunge sound uh chris was quoted in spin saying i don't really have much to say i've had a really good life i've had the room and space and freedom to be imaginative I haven't had anyone close to me die. I haven't had any hard times. So I feel more productive to dwell on the good things. Like Peaches. Yeah. Dieter took it a bit further and said, The Seattle sound was misunderstood. The grunge thing was an anomaly. Claiming that Seattle was more Louie Louie than I hate myself and I want to die. <laughs> Which is interesting. I feel like, I don't know if it was, uh, if like the grunge scene was, an anomaly at the time it i feel like it was with the music that was happening and, and louis louis was happened 20 30 years prior i think uh well we know there's there's plenty of indie rock and hip-hop and other things that came out of seattle during that era but there's definitely a lot of like sad sack grunge bands at the time even before it blew up uh they do go on like to talk about how some of the early influences certainly the beatles were a huge influence on them Cheap Trick, ELO, and they also did mention... Cheap Trick I can hear, for sure. Yeah, and they also did mention bands like the Kingsmen and the Sonics, which are very much yep. a part of uh, part of their sound as well. Uh, Chris yeah. Chris did love grunge, uh, and he was definitely around the scene. He was quoted saying, mm-hmm. uh, I loved everything about it. In fact, I was making music like that in Boston when the grunge thing exploded. Then I heard Nevermind and was like, oh, well, Nevermind. Mm-hmm. I don't need to make the record I'm trying to make because this is it. I just listened to that instead of making one myself. Which, <laughs> I feel know, that way a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of great. I think a lot of other folks were like, I want to make the exact same record, and so they tried. But I appreciate that mindset. I know that, I mean, earlier I said, yeah, they sound like they're from Seattle in that era. That era. I mean, they're not a grunge band. I wouldn't call them a grunge band, but they're grungy. There are a lot of, like, like the you beginning of Lump yeah. is like, that could have been umpteen different bands from Seattle at the time. But the, the major key songs and the like kind of happy go lucky energy and the, um, you know, the tongue in cheek satire that makes it so it's not grunge, but it's, it's definitely highly influenced. Right. But they're a band like if you told me they're from L.A., I wouldn't be surprised, although they do a song called Fuck California. Of course but they do. <laughs> in the same in the same breath, if you told me they're from Seattle during the grunge scene, I'd be like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. All, all, all yeah, that it because it's clearly, yeah. it's clearly there. Yeah. So that's the story of the band. Uh, in 1994, they signed with the teeny Seattle label Pop Llama Records, and they released their self-titled debut album in the following year. And that is how we were all introduced to Lump, Peaches, Kitty, Dune Buggy, and so many other jams. That was their debut album? Yeah. Jesus. How did it go from this indie label to us talking about it now? Uh, very quickly. Uh, they signed the indie label, uh, and that I, it sounded like within with, within a matter of, of months, if not weeks, they were signed to Columbia. So Got it. Was, things just started to connect very quickly. It sounded like they were in conversations with some majors before 
signing with with uh, Paploma, mm. uh, Paploma, and uh, I think mm-hmm. the stuff just started to take off pretty quickly, and and Columbia slept right in and picked them up. They re-recorded some of the stuff and re-released the album um, in, in very very short order. So my sister, as you know, is six years older than I am. And in the spring of 95 uh-huh. or summer of 95, I would have been eight, maybe nine. Uh, she 14. Uh, I believe this album came out March 10th, but there, I think it might have been released later. So I might have my like numbers fudged a little bit here, but I have a very fond memory of being a young buck on spring break because when we were younger, we used to go visit my grandma in Florida on spring break every year. And I believe I'm remembering this correctly because we were on spring break. I had my old school Walkman with a cassette player and my sister had one of those newfangled giant yeah. CD player Walkmans yeah. that you like had to hold perfectly flat. Uh, so because we're in spring break, we couldn't listen to this together. And I, I want to say that this was the first cassette that I bought uh-huh. and didn't steal from her. And I want to say this was the first CD that she bought <laughs> yeah. because we were right at yeah. that time when both were yeah. available. Uh, so we'll find out later that this goes triple platinum, and and I think maybe many households bought two copies because yeah. they needed both. Uh, but I I have like such fond memories mm-hmm. of this album because there's so many bangers. They're strange songs, but they're like oddly relatable and like you like they're fun. They're fun ditties. And I could see how how they would resonate with kids, and they did with me, like yeah. especially Peaches. Uh, I don't think I ever had the cassette. But I, my parents were listening to alternative radio pretty much exclusively at the time. So, like, these two songs were on constantly. Oh, love that. My mom was listening to Barbara Streisand, so that's about all I had. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my parents are just on the cusp of Gen X, so. Yeah. You know. My mom's old. Uh, <laughs> well, let's talk about Lump. So, the, the main, let's talk the about main song we're here for. Um, I was just singing this song the other day, actually. Perfect. I don't remember why. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So the song, uh, fairly simple overall, uh, as far as the story goes, as I mentioned. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, and I don't know if I was just like a young, dumb kid, but I don't think I ever like listened to the lyrics to, I mean, I guess I, I was singing along to the lyrics, but I never like conceptualized them for this band. Uh, right. Because they're, they're, they're odd. So like you can pick up on them, but you're like, they don't. There's like so many non sequiturs that you're like, okay. Um, mm-hmm. And and Chris uh, is it, drawn to weird lyrics. He read one interview where he said, "If I were a painter, I would paint pictures of bugs and spiders driving around in cars." And and like that comes through in his music. I, like, I think Dune Buggy is essentially is about that. So uh, Lump starts out. I think that the first verse of Lump is strange, and the the lines are yeah. Lump sat alone in a boggy marsh, totally emotionless except for her heart. Mud flowed up into Lump's pajamas. She totally confused by all the passing piranhas. So, like, as a young kid, and even now, I'm like, okay, the fuck does I mean, that mean? It sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> However, the chorus and the next verse give the real background to the song. And the chorus, as we all know, is she's lump, she's lump, she's in my head. She's lump, she's lump, she's lump. She might be dead. Lump lingered last in line for brains. 
and the one she got was sort of rotten and insane. Small things so sad that birds could land is lump fast asleep or rocking out with the band. And that is the story of the song because lump is about a benign tumor that Chris had at some point. Wow. So that, that verse right there is it. She lingered in my brain. She found a, she found a, female, a, a rotten a dumb female one tumor. and is, she might be dead. She's hanging out with the band. Like that's a, that's the whole thing in the song. Wow. I, uh, I never would have considered that. And he kind of conflates this a bit because he also said that he had this dream about a girl sitting in a marsh and then he named her Lump uh, because, like, it was just a funny name. Uh, And then he was like, if I'm going to write a song about my brain tumor, I'll just mix these two together because, like, Tumor My Head is a a Mm -hmm. bad name for a song. (laughs) So, yeah. Although I could see them having a song called that. Yeah. Wow. So that's the kind of the story behind the song. There's not really much more to that. Uh, I, I read that he was very inspired by, quote unquote, wet, drippy, mossy, buggy, spidery, fungusy, moldy Seattle surroundings, which mm-hmm. I guess plays into the song. Uh, and then musically, he said he was trying to write a Buzzcock song. And this lump is considered uh, hear that. one of his favorite compositions. Yeah. Yeah. Matter of fact, the Buzzcock's uh, influence. There's an interview, and, and the interviewer asked, uh, if there was a song for him that no matter how many times you play it night after night, uh, you know, does it transport you and remind you of, of why you're doing this? And Chris said, yeah, there is. That song is Lump. No matter how many times we play it, and we've played it almost every single show we've ever played, it's as fresh live as if we just wrote it that afternoon. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm never bored playing that song. In the beginning, it was me trying to write a Buzzcock song. I guess I still channel them a little bit whenever I play it. That's beautiful. That's, uh, you never yeah. hear that. <laughs> That's also true. So it was, uh, yeah. well received. Pan European magazine, Music and Media, wrote Taken from the band's debut album, Lump Clocks In at just over two minutes. And it's so mm-hmm. cool, you could play it twice in place of those dismal four minute rock operas turned out by other US rockers. Full points to Chris Ballou's tongue in cheek vocals, one of the best things that happened in alternative rock this year. And Dave Sinclair from the Times commented, an intriguing amalgamation of Nirvana-influenced riffs and Weezer-ish harmony vocals. It is a hmm. post-grunge formula served up with lashings of oddball humor in place of unusual angst. I guess they which, could be considered post-grunge. Yeah, but sure. Post-grunge also turned into shit like, you know, Lifehouse. Yeah, I kind of love so. Lifehouse back in the day, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> not gonna lie. Are they, are they well, I guess it, but it was also it was also shit like uh I don't know. I just think I think of them as maybe one of those bands that's like took elements of grunge and just really watered it down. I guess post grunge is more like uh you know, shit like tonic and fuel and third eye blind and shit. Yeah, those are more post grunge. Yeah, I guess that's true. We're gonna put that post, in there. Post post grunge is like Lifehouse and Puddle of Mud. <laughs> and the calling. The calling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know why that came to me. Where they all Them they all just similar. they all just try to sing like Eddie Better. Yeah. Uh so it's probably a good time to go to the video. I actually did not watch the video. I remember this video. I, see I didn't and there was nothing about it, so I was like, I'll just watch it with Mike. So you haven't so seen it? You've here. seen the Peaches video though, right? Yeah, and I'm sure I'll remember the Peaches this video was on all the time. 
all the time. I like how this is just a random on someone's like random channel. It's not the band's channel. I, it's yeah, just well, like a fan. Like 17 million views going to High Plains Drifters YouTube channel. Yeah. I don't remember this, do you? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. They're like in a boggy marsh. They're in like a, yeah, they are. Yes. His voice sounds uh, quite a bit like um, Dexter Holland from The Offspring. Uh, it does, yeah. Which I think Smash came out in 95 as well. They're very similar. They're kind of post grungy. Yeah, they were like grunge meets pop punk. The first or Smash was definitely oh the very the grungy. silhouette is very like live esque. The band live esque. Who also yeah. could be considered I guess, yeah post-grunge. live is post grunge. Yeah, I know you do. Now they're on a boat. Why not? There's a dog on the on a phone. Yeah, that's yeah, it's just a fun video. The dog on the phone is to. President of the United States of America, as is that really quick shot of their luxury sports car, is the Ying Yang Twins. Yeah, you gotta you gotta have the dog with a phone, or it's not a cool rock video. Also, I feel like they made this video in the marsh, and then Columbia was like, "Spend more money." So they're like, "Okay, we'll rent a tugboat." Right. Yeah, we're gonna <laughs> we'll just perform in a barge. <laughs> this is a great video. It's actually very fun. I really I really like it. And credit to uh, who, uh, blanking on who I just read. Uh, but the song is just like two minutes long and it comes to an end and you're like, I want more. I think that's why the album was so good because the songs were short. They ended and you're like, yeah, give me more. Yeah. And there was a more. very buzz cockian of them. It's it's honestly perfect for kids. I'm sure that we weren't the only kids who were into this. Definitely not. Oh my God, no. Did you see who the director of this video was? Or are we, are we going to talk about that? It's Roman Coppola. Like <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola's son. No shit. He made uh, Moonrise Kingdom Ooh. with Wes Anderson. Yeah. He directed this video. What? Oh my god, he has a ton, dude. Oh, yo. Oh, oh. You know what video he did? A Honey by Moby. Count the it. Moby mention. Count it. <laughs> um, let's see, he did uh, of course, yeah. Matthew Sweet. He did Love Batteries, Harold's Pink Room. Uh, Green Day. So was he just like buddies with all these bands? I guess so. Yeah, Walking Contradiction, great song. The Rentals. Dude, oh. he did the We Trying to Stay Alive video. That video is amazing. Oh, wow. The Wyclef video. That's a great video. Oh, dude, he keeps going, right? Carrie, The Strokes, Brother of Jeff, and Beastie Boys, featuring Nas, Arcade Fire. Oh, you know what? Ow. I did know that he did that BC Boys video. I knew that. Supergrass? Damn. I I knew he did that one. That's the one with Nas, yeah. Um, you know, this is your show. He's still making them. So we just watched the first Here one, we are. which was directed by Roman Coppola. The second one, also directed by Roman Coppola. Uh, oh, of course he did Phantom Planet California because Jason Schwartzman is his cousin. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Jason really? Schwartzman played drums for that band. I don't think I knew that either. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this one I've heard is like, I heard Lump 2 is much more dark, which we're about to find out. Uh, all right, some of the some of the cuts are still in it, like the silhouettes. Yeah, very similar. But it gets much more like oh. what would make sense in mid-90s MTV. Show some live kid. footage. 
I've watched a lot of live videos of them recently, and like they're all kind of goofy. This one gives me like Red Hot Chili Peppers, Smashing Pumpkin vibes. So, like they definitely clearly like turned it up for this performance. Turned up the, like the grunginess, and not the like the funkiness. A pretty grungy video. Stage diving. Now they're in a random trailer park. Did they make a different video just to blow some major label coin or There's what? a story here, but I only read about it in one article and it was like one quick line. Should look into that. I'll mail back that later. Yeah, I want I want the, the Pusa heads yeah, to like, come through and tell us what happened. Yes. We have to talk about the B-side of our episode here and talk about Peaches real quick. Which, Peaches was on my list, but Lump was not, I gotta say. But Lump is a weird song. Same. Lump's a weird song. Yeah, same. But Peaches is a really fucking weird song. Shout out to, uh, to my boy Sean, friend of the pod, uh, because he was like, dude, you should do Lump. And I was like, nah, dude, Peaches is better. And he's like, well, Lump's got a good story. And it was a bigger hit, which, debatable. But uh, definitely. We'll talk about the charts. We'll get there. We'll get there. What if I got on here and, and, I, and I just like went full floor and sales guy and was like, you know, the whole reason we're doing this episode is to release Sierra Nevada's new peach IPA. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, the the orangey one is so is good. It? The 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 sunny little thing oh, is I amazing. Had it yet, but uh, we we can't like I'll buy a bunch of them and they're just like gone in a week. Well, they're probably delicious with peaches. All they y'all out are. there should should pick up some what's it called? Sunny little thing. That's like their their new summer there's summer beer, very crushable. In fact, uh, our good pal over at Sierra Nevada, he said that uh, he said if I can find it on draft, which I, they definitely have it at a bar I hang out at. He's like, "Be careful getting it because on draft it's even more lovely, and then you won't want to go back to the can." <laughs> mm, but it's it's I'm not usually into like citrusy, like super citrusy beers. Um, yeah, but it's so good. It's such a great beer. Like I told you, I did early on when we were doing podcast research, yeah, months ago, a year ago when we started this, uh, I would do like real quick research on on a handful of songs, find one that had a nugget and run with it. Mm -hmm. And I would always come back to Peaches and I could never find anything like real concrete. It was always just like really simple. Like it's about eating peaches. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I never <laughs> no really, shit. I never really, well, but I, I, I think growing up when I was younger, people always had like, oh, it's a double entendre. Oh yeah. It's a, I remember that It's too. about eating peaches, if you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. But it's not. Um, Is there a Beavis and Butthead episode where they watch the peaches video? Oh, I didn't find it, but I would not be surprised. <laughs> Very on <laughs> Peaches. Brand. You know what they mean by peaches, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. But no, so I, I could never find a really good telling of the story. And then I found an article, and I think it might be like recent in the last like 10 years, five years, whatever. Uh, but, but Chris tells the story of Peaches, and he tells it so well that I'm going to read it verbatim okay. and, and open your world to uh, Peaches. So, <clears throat> quote, so the whole song started with me taking LSD. And going to a girl's house to tell her that I liked her while on LSD, which is a really great idea. Uh, this is in Boston, by the way. Uh, Sometimes so, you need that confidence, you know? 100%. So we're in Boston. 
This is after Chris graduated high school. He's in Boston playing in different bands. Uh, so he goes on and says, it seemed like a good idea at the time. There might be a disclaimer here that I've taken LSD a handful of times and it performed as advertised and exploded my creativity. And that was all I needed. So this was just one of those rare times that I took it. I went to her house. She was a singer songwriter. Her name was Mary Lou Lord and she lived in a cannery yellow house with white trim and white picket fence and a little sunshiny yard and a peach tree in the yard. But the house was a neighborhood full of one-story brown machine shop. It was almost cartoonish, and I don't think it was the LSD that was making it cartoonish. I went to the door. I knocked on the door. She wasn't there. So I thought, well, I'll just wait for her. And I sat under the peach tree. There were peaches that had fallen that were in various stages of decay. And of course, in my state of mind that I was in, I just started diving in and squeezing the peaches and mixing it with my desire for the girl and the desire for the peaches and the juicy weirdness and the ants crawling all around. But she never showed up, so I left. But the song didn't really come to life until much later, until I had moved back to Seattle. I was waiting on it for a bus and a disheveled man in an oily overcoat with a big beard, who I assumed was, you know, homeless, came shuffling by the bus stop and saying under his breath, I'm moving to the country, going to eat a lot of peaches, moving to the country, going to eat a lot of peaches, over and over as he passed by. Wow. From the horse's mouth, that is the story of peaches. That is excellent. That is really excellent. Now, do you want me to blow your mind even a little more? Uh, of course. Yes, please. So the lady that he was mentioning here, who he was trying Mary to... Mary Lou Lord. Uh, you know who she is? I do. She is a singer-songwriter and also a former girlfriend of Kurt Cobain. Yep. And she dated Kurt Cobain uh, at really when Nirvana started really popping off. Yeah, that's how I know so, who she is. What a great little connection that Crazy. the presidents have with Nirvana. That story is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a great story. But as a fun aside, uh, he did not know how to end the song. And so Dave actually wrote the outro, which is almost an entirely different song. But like, it's very different. Uh, but it also like a very cool way to do it. And I think Chris really appreciated his input because, one, it was like a fun collaborative effort. But also like that also means that both them were longer. They both got credit. And it's their biggest song so they both made a shit ton of money off of it and, and rather just so i think chris made a lot of money off that brother's song so chris was quoted saying i love the song for that reason because it's a really great representation of me and dave as co-writers of a song and the song became one of our biggest songs biggest really so it was nice to have both of us involved in something that became so synonymous with the band mm-hmm. which i thought was was really nice a lot of nice sentiments with this band they just seem like they have a good time doing what they do i know they're so nice Lump came out, Peaches came out very quickly after on the charts. Both didn't chart all that well. Um, but like the amalgamation of the two, I think really like popped this band off. They, uh, they played Jay Leno and they played Letterman. They were offered to play Saturday Night Live, but it conflicted with Chris's wedding. Oh they no. They weren't able to play. And the article that I read was like, don't worry. I mean, the article I, read, I know. I would skip the wedding. I mean, 
SNL is the pinnacle. I'm re- okay. I'm really curious, especially at that time. Like that's the biggest. I think it. I guess it still is. That's the biggest music performance on television, other than what the Super Bowl halftime 100%. show. Like, I, I do think it's bigger now because there is no other late night Maybe. opportunity, really. Um, but it was still huge. There are bands on late time. night shows. No, I know, but but, uh, but back then, like every late night show had yeah, artists on. And SNL's SNL's once a week. Um, I I'm really curious if my spouse, who we we did have a wedding, I'm wondering if uh, turn out my band got invited to play SNL. I mean, that's the thing is that I, I just heard that uh, Japanese Breakfast um, <clears throat> they played SNL, and they said that they I don't think they found out they were playing SNL till the Sunday prior. Yeah, usually you find it. Yeah, so like. You've already planned the whole wedding, got people flying and shit, but I feel like everybody will understand. I think they would, right? But I also really respect that he just went ahead and had the wedding and didn't play SNL. Like, I, at the same time, I respect I that. I do. I would have asked Lauren Michaels nicely if I could perform next week, maybe. Um, I mean, fucking yeah. Morgan Wallen dropped the N-word and got uh, drunk before his performance and still got a second chance. N-word was after. Okay, fair. But Still got a second chance, yeah. <laughs> and the president only got. Yeah, one. he did. They made it. They made a skit about it. The president's only got one opportunity. They did later that uh, year. Go on to play Mad TV. Uh, <laughs> if that's any kind of uh, half as good, maybe half as good. <laughs> I didn't even remember that Mad TV had bands. I did, I did not either. Mad TV. I remember all that. Had Mad bands. TV was much more popular during that time. Yes, but no, 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 no. More no. popular than it is now. I don't think it's around anymore, but I don't know. It had, I thought it had this more popular than SNL then. So there, this was, this was really weird. There is in my, in my school district, uh, there are two middle schools and they both funnel into the high school. And so like, you know, some people from the other middle school, like, like I I had a girlfriend there. So like met a lot of those people, but I always, but I was, yeah, <laughs> I had a girlfriend. That's the, wow. That's saying something. Hey, in middle school, man, hey, right. Uh, but I remember from like hanging out with them, my friends and I, we all watched SNL. We loved SNL. Sure. We thought it was so weird how into mad TV they were. We were like, everyone over at Good Hope Middle School really likes mad TV. We we're like, mad TV sucks. Like, what's going on over at that middle school? I, I think I went through a phase where I was into mad TV. <laughs> I think Chris is still happily married, so you know, that's good. Okay, that's great. I was gonna say, I, I hope they're still together, and I hope the wedding was fun as hell. It probably yeah, was. I imagine so. Let's talk charts. Uh, <laughs> Lump went number one or an alternative airplay. <laughs> oh, I was like, what? <laughs> it only made it. No, it only made it way. to number twenty-six on the mainstream top forty chart. But it did get played on pop radio. Yes. So that's crazy. But here's the thing. So, uh, so, yeah, so Lump goes number 26 in the mainstream top 40. Conversely, later, uh, about a couple months later, Peaches peaks at number 23 on the mm. mainstream top 40, but then also peaks at number 30 on the Billboard Hot 100. Whereas I couldn't find Lump anywhere on the Billboard Hot 100. That's so weird. So it huh. 
went 24 on the pop chart essentially and didn't touch the top 100 of the mainstream it it, it doesn't add up i couldn't find any like nothing uh, maybe written. it's just some some sort of lost data look at that lump peaked at number 26 on the the mainstream 40 the, the pop chart essentially it uh We'll read the top ten, but I want to say uh, right right above it is Gangster's Paradise coming at number number twenty five, oh. going down, uh, and Waterfalls is right below it at twenty seven, going down. Wow! Which means that both of those, I'm sure, hit and we're just on their way. They probably hit like months ago and are, are still slowly on their way down the charts. Uh, I was just thinking about Coolio the other day because I was like, man, he had some jams and damn. nobody ever talks about him. We mentioned him once like, on just, this show, I feel like. Did we? Yeah. He just doesn't come up. So he only comes up when we're talking about Juggalos, because he's a Juggalo now. Is he? Yeah. I did not know that. Dude, he's like full on. Yeah, he started playing. Coolio started playing the Insane Clown Posse Gathering of the Juggalos Festival, and everyone loves him, and now he's just full on Juggalo. Ah, okay. I mean, I can yeah. see it. Yeah. So the week that uh, we see Lump peak, uh, the number one song, on the pop chart at least, was one sweet day by Mariah Mar- Carey and Boys Man. I mean that that was number one for what like eight decades for fucking ever. Do you know it was number two? <laughs> it's ninety five, right? Yeah. Don't think too hard about this one. It's fantasy by Mariah Carey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, great song. <laughs> and then, and then this is actually like this like. A little chunk here. Outside of the Goo Goo Dolls, number three name, we've got Ooh. Runaway by Your Girl Janet Jackson. Great song. As I Lay Me Down, Sophie Hawkins. Digging Her New TLC, You'll See Madonna. Hand in My Pocket, Alanis Morissette. Oh. So it's just like, just fucking divas, man. Oh, yeah. We're also hot on the heels of Macarena. We are. I guess I am. Our Macarena is hot on the heels of this song. Yeah. Can you imagine listening to pop radio and hearing Lump and then Macarena? Just being like, yeah, this is normal pop radio. Sounds lit. <laughs> so Peaches, Peaches will peak at number 30 on the Hot 100 mm-hmm. uh, on March 30th, 1996. Number one song is Because You Loved Me by Celine Dion, which was a mega uh, hit. Yeah. It number was. two, Nobody Knows, the Tony Rich Project. What is that? I actually don't know. <laughs> Nobody, knows. Nobody knows. Oh, it's definitely familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this, but I'm not really aware. I really always thought that song was Babyface. Definitely. Um, so continuing on in the chart, we got Sitting Up My Room by Brandy. Oh, here we go. At number four, we have Down Low, Nobody Has to Know. By R. Kelly, and uh, yeah. I would say nobody wants to know either. No, they what don't. What's happening there? <clears throat> uh, we got Mary J. Blige coming at number five. R and B is just lighting shit up. Lighting shit up. But here we go. <laughs> at number six, we have Ironic with a bullet. So Ironic is on its way Damn. up this time, which is very interesting. Um, Macarena, I think you learn was on the chart then. Yes, that's right. Yeah, you learned was in the top ten. So man, she had so many top ten hits from that record. It's insane. And then let me just let me just blow your mind. This probably actually won't even blow your post grunge. Alanis was totally post grunge. I mean, kind of. I think so. Yeah, 
so I mentioned that One Sweet Day by Mariah Carey and Boys to Men were number one on December 9th, 1995. Mm-hmm. On March 30th, 1996, that is number seven. Oh my God. <laughs> that song has staying power. Wow. How wild Huge is song. That? Huge song. And we have Missing by Everything But the Girl. I don't know if I know that one. Yeah, you do. Let me look it up. This is just the fun part about the show. This is for us only. <laughs> English kind of like Oh my trancy god. Yeah, shit. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. This could be a good song for the podcast, actually. It is kind of a weird song. We have, oh, definitely weird. We have Follow You Down by Jim Blossom, followed up at number 10 by oh, Lady by D'Angelo. We are full of the, R&B, the R&B is crazy. Uh, we'll get into parodies. Oh, and, oh, uh, we'll get and, into and parodies because one of my favorite parodies ever is... Take it away. We're going to talk about it. Weird Al. Weird Al Gump is I, one of the best I ever. Moment, I momentarily forgot about the song and then I was like massive flashback to uh, just one of his best. It's so good. And now watching the Lump video, it's there's so a lot timing. of like, Lump video references yep. in the company. So... That's definitely uh, the the biggest uh, kind of parody of the song, and that's and that's uh, a that was a huge like Goldilocks moment because Forrest Gump came out fucking 1995 too. It was just perfect. It was like, well, Lump is Gump. It. I mean, it's so good. So fun little fact: uh, because of this, Weird Al and the president kind of became friendly i love that and they stayed in touch and weird al has come up on stage with them played with them a couple times that's when they played in la amazing and weird al directed one of their later music <laughs> what videos. oh and weird al called... had amish paradise this year big year for them wait, wait, oh, um, wow, amish really? paradise oh, came out wow. that year too huge yeah so the song called mixed up sob is a song that uh, the Presence will put out years later, and this video is directed by Weird Al. That's so good. I love that in this video, Weird Al shaved his head, and he and his band just look just like the President of the United States of America. No, oh, it's fantastic. Uh, so after Peaches, after Lump, after the debut album, mm-hmm. the the band releases a handful of follow up albums. They break up and they get back together, and they break up and they get back together. Uh, the first breakup was in 97 and for that breakup they played a farewell show where they gave all the money to charity which is fucking awesome and very like on brand for the president do you know what charity i don't mm. i didn't look that deep peach farmers uh, of america i'm sure it was you know something legitimate <laughs> agriculturally uh, related they they then reunited in, in 2002 and they went by the name the quitters <laughs> but uh, they they they, recently, they found out that uh, that there's another band named the Quitters, so they had to change the name again. They couldn't use the name President of the United States of America because Columbia, I guess, owned it. But they ended up buying it back. Whoa! They own Columbia, their band name, apparently. Or they, if they recorded under that name, they had to because that band probably was so. under so contract. Columbia owned Columbia owned the rights to the president, so it was like Prince. And they had Prince changed. They had to symbol. buy it back from the label guy. Yeah. Perhaps, yeah, that's probably yeah. what it was. Yeah. Um, so they changed their name back to the President of the United States of America. They're back. Uh, they they released an album called Pure Frosting, which is a throwback. <laughs> yeah. To one of their first names, and 
on that album, uh, they it had a couple different songs on there uh, that were previous releases. One being Video Killed, The Radio Star, which uh-huh. was on the soundtrack for The Wedding Singer originally. And then uh-huh. also their cover of Cleveland Rocks, oh. which was the theme song for the Drew Carey show. Which I know that song. Right. But I did not know it was them. I don't think I knew it was them either. I got three. Just like uh You listen back and you're like, oh, that 70s but, show, it's cheap trick, but it's cheap trick covering big stuff. I did know that. There was a time when the President of the United States of America collaborated with Sir Mix-a-Lot. What? And they had a group called Subset. What? And they toured. Oh, my God. And they recorded several songs, but they never released an album. But I did find some songs. Here's one here. Oh, my God. This is really good. It's kind of awesome. How did this happen? the fuck knows but I love it god the 90s were really it's kind of good this is actually really good yeah November 16th 2016 Chris Ballou on Facebook stated that the band had dissolved sometime in the summer of 2015 as they wanted to move on calling themselves old people now there were some other things going on in november 2016 i i I don't know if that was the impetus for them breaking up or what (laughs) it was not apparently but uh the spin article is entitled a week after trump gets elected the president of the united states of america is called quit (laughs) that's so So, funny there is that's really funny i think they're They're like fuck this he's not a part of this (laughs) i kind of feel like maybe that's why they decided to say it then but they apparently decided to break up months earlier uh chris has many side projects and part of the reason why the band broke up here and there is because he wanted to focus on family mm-hmm. and focus on side projects um one of his most successful and longest running and still going today side project brings us to our kids corner because chris is a uh, children's artist he goes that- by Casper Baby Pants? That does not surprise me. Their their songs already sound like kid songs. 100%. And I I wanted to drop that note the entire time, every time you mentioned it. Uh, But here's here's one of them. This is called Stompy the Bear. (laughs) You know what? Good for you for holding it back. All these kid songs, all these kid songs sound like a presence of the United States of America. Stompy the Bear. And he will shake this town. He's pretty, he's pretty big. I mean, this, this has a lot again, of place, right? Some say he is green and really, really mean, but he just wants someone to boogie with. Go! This is fun. Okay, Stompy yeah, the Bear so awesome. rips. Uh, this is great. Oh, when I have kids, we're gonna be a Casper baby pants house. This is great. Very happy for him. Apparently, Dave Dieter, Dave Dieter unsuccessfully tried out for Weezer during one of the band's early breakups. Uh, however, he did not get into Weezer, and he uh, would continue reuniting with the band throughout the years up until 2002, when Dave Dieter left and went to work for Amazon. Which, if you're doing the math, and he has any sort of stock options, Dave Dieter is a fucking millionaire now uh and he 
comes from a long line of musicians who found more success outside of music. <laughs> so good for him. So when they reunited since, he wasn't in the band? Uh, he has not been in the band since 2002, no. But Jeff Bezos played guitar <laughs> yeah, for them yeah. for a while. Uh, no, according to his LinkedIn, <laughs> he's no longer with Amazon. He left in 2019. <laughs> his LinkedIn? You went yeah, on his LinkedIn? LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That would be a podcast in itself. It's just looking up former rock stars LinkedIn. Well, I feel like a lot of them are going to be like Jason Finn. I couldn't find anything of Jason. Uh, Jason is, uh, his LinkedIn is like, I used to be in President of America. That's great. Um, That's great. Like I said, the band still gets together. Um, As I mentioned, they they talk about how it's impossible to Google their name, Uh, but they they do hang out uh, a good bit. I think they all, Mm -hmm. at least Chris and Dave, still live in the Seattle area. Uh, I couldn't find a website for them, but they do have Facebook. uh, And it's obviously run by Chris because he posts there every once in a while. Uh, So, yeah, all in all, um, I don't know why this song and songs. We're popular, uh, but they were just great. I, yeah. Well, I, I think wish we had more insight. So, uh, we talked about it a little bit. There was this like need for grunge music with some levity to it. Will, Will Hogue wrote, amidst all of the sludgy guitar riffs and introspective angst of the 90s alternative music, the presence of the United States of America served as somewhat of a palate cleanser thanks to their fuzz pop ditties and their quirky sense of humor, which yep. I think is true. Yeah. And in retrospect, uh, in a spin article I read, Chris was quoted saying, One thing I have really enjoyed with the perspective of more years is just how outside we always were and still are. I sometimes hear Lump or Peaches or in KSWI, Seattle's rock station, and I just can't believe that a recording that sounds like that actually becomes a hit. What we yeah. created is sonically singular and unique and yet was and is also accessible to a wide audience. And I'm more and more proud of that as the years pass, which I think is like a, a kind of a testament of the songs that like they're yeah they're super simple, they're accessible, and they're fun, and people just gravitate towards them. Yeah, and they were like, it's weird. They were doing goofy shit without being assholes. Like they were, they were uh, Bloodhound Gang without being. The I was Bloodhound about to gang. say they are the Bloodhound Gang, but I can tolerate them. <laughs> Like that's I've been waiting to say that. I was that's how I was gonna like <laughs> exactly sum sum up how I thought about them. Speaking of like being grounded, um, there's a I read a, a question and answer in an interview that I didn't know where to put. That's a good time to say it. Uh, the interviewer asks, "You are such this is the Chris. You are such a conscientious person. You're so focused on health, physically and mentally. I can imagine how torrentially it might have felt." when you were really one of the biggest bands in the entire world. But I'm glad that you're okay. And Chris responded, and this is a fun little like sad story. Uh, yeah, I'm okay. And some of why I'm okay is because of Madonna. We had a business meeting with her, and she said in the meeting, or I think she might have, my memory, is that she pulled me aside and told me this, which was, whether you sign with me or not, you are never going to get critical acclaim for the craft of what you do. Because it's fun and it's funny. So don't wait for it. Don't expect it. Just give a, give that a pass and enjoy playing for the people that you love. And I love you. Wow. Fucking rad. That's so insightful. I know. And so they, so they're meeting with Maverick about signing with Maverick. Must have been, yeah, right. Yeah. Huh. 
we'll finish up with uh, another quote from Chris because uh, this has been chock full of quotes. Uh, and I, it's been great. In another interview, he speaks to a strange lyric saying, I just make this stuff up. That's the magic of writing songs. You don't really have to explain. And that is the presence of the United States of America. That is peaches. I love it. That is lump. You don't have to explain to the shit. It's just good. It's fun. That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted a Hit. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Good luck getting that song out of your head. Please remember to subscribe so you know when the next episode is out. And if you listen on Apple, write a review. But only if it's nice. Follow us on Twitter at YWAHpod and let us know what you think. Or tell us what we missed by sending us an email at YWAHpod at gmail.com. And lastly, share with a friend if you had a good time. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Beidler. And our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time.